I'm so glad to see you all on a cold, cold Nebraska day. <sighs> well, faith for the journey. Wish me luck. My husband usually pushes the buttons. <laughs> ah, okay, before I start, I want to talk about faith. And so sometimes people mistakenly believe that missionaries are like, oh, they're so special, they're so spiritually mature, they do everything right, we don't, none of that is true. Uh, in fact, I quickly found out that was true when I became a missionary. My first day as a missionary, I went home and cried because I was really shocked that my bubble burst about what other missionaries were like. And I'm sure they were equally shocked when I joined the team. Um, <laughs> well, you know how it is. The worst thing about churches is the other people in church. The worst thing about missionaries is the other missionaries and vice versa. I'm that other missionary to them. And so we are all really deeply flawed humans. So, okay, so I wanna talk about this chair. If I, can you hear, if anybody can't hear, go like this, because sometimes I talk too softly, especially since I moved to France, they whisper. Um, so if I decided that I am going to sit down in that chair, no amount of faith is going to make that rickety thing hold me up. Faith is about the object of our faith. The object of our faith is God. If I have faith in something else, in the universe, and this or that, there's no power in that. So faith does not mean I can sit in that chair. It's about the object of our faith, which is God, and how faithful he is, and how good he is. He is unwaveringly true. I remember my little Sunday school growing up, they taught us who is God? He is sovereign. He is righteous. He is justice. He is love. He's eternal life. He's truthful. He's omniscient. He is omnipotent. Those things are the foundational truths of why it's powerful to have faith in God. It's not about me. It's about him. So I just want to clarify that before we start. So this is my family. Uh, 17, that was 17 years ago. I know, the time has gone like that, 17 years. And 17 years ago, God started us on a journey. I did not see it coming, but um, we, my husband and I took turns as the head of the missions committee in our church for 10 years. And we were both praying that if there was an individual or a couple or a family that was being called to missions, that they would notice it and respond. And so, yes, we thought we'd be very helpful and we would pray them to the field. You can do that if you want. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> go ahead and do that if you want. But we had just purchased my dream home. It back to woods with a creek. There was a pond. Oh, I loved it. I loved it so much. And we homeschooled and got to do our science there. And I was in my beautiful master bedroom suite. And you'll notice a theme here. I was thinking, I love my life. I love this house. 
I love doing things with my family. I love it, love it, love it. And I had just read a book. It's an odd book for God used to call someone to missions, but it was about the Chinese underground church. And it was very convicting all the way through, all the way through. And at the end, I just had this really, really strong sense that God was calling us to the mission field. And I thought, oh no, my husband's going to think I'm, I've lost it. We've lived in this dream home for two years that I really saved and worked for. Um, but we really thought it was so. And so the weekend rolled around. And my husband was drinking coffee, and he was talking about work, and he was talking about politics, and he took a pause. And I said, do you think it's us? And he said, yes, do you? I'm really good at segues, you know. And, and I said, yes, are we talking about the same thing? And we were. And to be honest, we both burst out laughing because we did not feel like we had anything to offer uh, on the mission field. His, back, his spiritual gift is the gift of helps. And mine is working in the background, too. He's, he's not a pastor. He's, he, neither of us have the gift of evangelist. And we just thought that that's what missionaries do, so we couldn't really be a missionary. But we really both felt strongly that God was calling us. And so we said, well, here we are, Lord. Send us. But please, you have to show us what to do. Please have missionaries we know contact us with work we could do. And I privately prayed, and I did not tell him. Um, I threw out my own little private fleece. I thought, what if this is just an emotion? I mean, I had some pretty strong emotions. And I thought, what if we sell our house and get rid of our pets and yank our children away from everyone they know and love, and we move across the world, and it's just an emotion? So I didn't want to do that. So I said, so Lord, I just want you to show me. So if you, if you are calling us, please have a missionary we know personally contact us. And I don't mean a blanket email. I mean I want a missionary to say to me, Ellen, have you considered full-time missions? So it took five days. and <laughs> Ten years, five days. And God was just waiting and waiting for me to get it. And... Um, it's missionaries we know contacted us in a blanket email and said they needed very urgently a full-time computer guy and a part-time bookkeeper. And my husband could do the computer stuff and I could do the bookkeeping stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, we could do that. But that is a blanket email. And two days later, we walked into church and there was a missionary I've known forever. And he always says to me, Ellen, how are you? How are the kids? And this time... He walked up to me, and he stuck out his hand. He goes, Ellen, have you considered full-time missions? And my knees buckled. I said, John, why do you say that to me? He goes, I have no idea. He goes, but I have a sneaky suspicion. I said, he goes, the Lord just told me to say that. And I said, yeah, we do too. So that night, we really wondered, what are our kids going to think? And so that night, he was giving his missionary presentation. And at the end, I'm sure it was for us because he knew where, where we were at. So he said at the end, I'm going to talk to the children right now. He goes, and I don't want you to do this unless you, you think about it. And don't do this. Don't feel obligated. But just see if God leads you this way. He goes, kids, if you are willing to do whatever it is God has for you, including becoming a missionary, 
I want you to stand up right now. And there were about 50, 60 kids in that room, and our three children shot out of their seats and stood there alone. And let me tell you, our kids ain't nothing special. They're not. They're just as flawed as everybody else's kids. God was just preparing their hearts. So later, we sat down with them. We said, we've been talking with the director of the Malaga Media Center, and we think we're going to go. Uh, he wants us to come and see if it's right for us to move there and become missionaries. You know, we had the globe out. What type of questions do you have? What do you think? And they all went, cool. And we said, cool? And they said, yeah. Mr. Marr asked us if we were willing to become missionaries. We should stand up. And we meant it. And it's like, okay. So I knew we couldn't do it on our own. And I asked God to wrap his arms around my family. Every time, even in those stories, every time, it's the faithfulness of God. He is so trustworthy. He is worthy of our trust. That we, we have a perception of being in any sort of control in our lives. That's a total lie. We have no control over anybody or anything other than our own thoughts and words and actions. That's all. That's it. So he has just proven himself trustworthy over and over and over. So we applied for our paperwork. The Avant Ministry said, okay, you need to apply right away. You know, after our training, they, even before training, they said, you know, some of our missionaries have been waiting for over two years for their paperwork to also go to Malaga, Spain. And so you really need to start it even before training so that it can go through the process it takes years. And so we submitted our paperwork and we went through training. And two months later, we got a letter saying, come to Chicago to the Spanish consulate and pick up your visas. And then you have 90 days to move to Spain. And we were just blown away. We're like, what? We need to raise support. We need to sell our house. We need to give away our pets. And we were just like, so we said, what should we do? Well, so we thought, well, we got to go. So we waited to the last day. We were stalling for time. We had 90 days to pick them up, but we were stalling for time. We waited to the last day, and we show up in Chicago at the consulate. And the man before me, oh, my word, he was just aggressive to the lady. And she, you have to do this. You have to do that. And he was asking permission to move to Spain. And she goes, we are the nation of Spain. We do not have to do anything. Go sit down. So we went and sat down. I thought, oh, okay, we're about to ask a favor. So we got up there and we said, you know, we didn't think it would t come so fast. Could we have an extension instead of moving to Spain by, the, uh, by early February 1st? Could we have an extension and could we make it uh, the end of April, 1st of May? And she says to me, this is my first experience with Spanish culture, and it was a learning experience. Um, you do not trifle with them. And she says to me, no, the computer cannot do it. The chancellor of this office cannot change it. The king of Spain cannot change it. Go sit down. And we're like, okay, okay. And we go sit down. Okay, okay. And she goes back, and there's a lot of this. They're waving their hands at each other, and their nose and nose, and they're, <gasps> the woman she told, <gasps> she comes to the door, come here. And we're like, yes. She goes, do you not know? 
She goes, you cannot ask for this. She goes, the, ch the computer cannot change the date. The chancellor of this office cannot change the date. The king of Spain cannot change the date. Go sit down. And we're like, yes, ma'am. So we go sit down. They make us wait till literally they're turning off the lights. We wait. Everybody else went before us, and they made us sit there. And every now and then, we get this. And in their defense, they're not mean. We were asking for the privilege of residing in their country. They make the rules. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, so, so she finally she brings the lady brings out the passport. She throws them. So we go. We pick up the passport. She goes, "Get out." And we said, "Thank you." Okay. We open them. Now Europeans change, so they. They invert, you know, we do the month, then the date, then the year. And they invert it. They do the date, then the month, then the year. And we thought, what does that mean? You know, is that possible that they gave us the date we asked for? Because, you know, the king is Spain. And, um, <laughs> and so we were so hesitant. We are so sorry. Lo siento, lo siento mucho. We said... Um, could you tell us about the dates on here? Does this mean, like it looks, that we go by May? <gasps> she turns around and she... And then when she goes, it is an error. Get out. And we took, <laughs> we took our five passports and our children. We're, I just glared. I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. Because we're all really almost left. We get out there, the wall is glass between the elevator. We stare at the elevator. We get in the elevator, the elevator closes. I mean, we've never laughed so hard. Our we're all laughing so hard. And our son goes, the computer cannot do it. <laughs> the chancellor cannot do it. The king of Spain cannot do it. He said, but God can do anything. And I thank God for that. We went and we got so, yeah. We got our cards. We moved to Spain. So God can do anything. He is worthy of our trust. So it was time to sell our house, to move. And um, we lived in a very desirable neighborhood until there was five houses for sale on every street because they had just announced a downsizing at the base. We lived in Bellevue. And they were transferring thousands of families, and so five houses on every street for for sale. And so our realtor said, no, it's not going to sell. Don't even bother with that. Just rent it out. Get a property manager and rent it out. And we felt like God was calling us there long term. It's been 17 years. And we felt like dangling that in front of us would be a temptation that we did not want. And so we said, no, we're going to sell it. And so... We got the thing ready to go on the market. We had the shampooers come. The floors were wet. My husband came home from work. I couldn't get in the kitchen. He goes, yep, get in the car. We're just going to go out to dinner. We walk in the restaurant. There's some friends from work. And they turn and said, hey, aren't you guys selling a four-bedroom house? We said, yes. And they're sitting with their friend. She's looking for a four-bedroom house. God provided, and she bought that house. <laughs> and the, it was miraculous, and uh, that's a long story, but I won't go into that, but she needed the Lord, and that was a great opportunity to share that story. So it was time to move.
and we're animal lovers. And we were moving to a high rise in a concrete jungle of high rises in Spain. And there was no taking our pets, especially our dog, um, who we loved so much. And she was a two-year-old Labrador named Buddy. And um, so we were like, we, let's pray about this kid. So I'm sitting down with the kids going, okay, what, what should we pray about for a family for this dog? Man, this is a brutally hard one. I better speed through it. And so um, they said, well, we're ho we homeschool, so we're home all the time. So let's ask for a homeschool family, because she would be lonely if people went to work all day and school all day. So we said, okay, well, let's pray for a family that is really kind to each other, because some families yell, and our dog doesn't like yelling. And so they said, let's pray for a family that doesn't yell. And so, um, so we prayed for all those things, and it goes on and on. And I went to a homeschool meeting, and this gal I'd never met leans over, and she looks at me, and she goes, are you that family that's becoming missionaries and leaving your husband's career and moving to Spain? I said, yes. She goes, I heard about you. She goes, I don't know why, but God really put it on my heart to pray for you. I've been praying for you every day for a month and a half. I said, whoa, thank you. That's, a, um, that's very humbling. And she said, well, I've been wondering, what's the hardest thing? Because I want to know better how to pray for you. And I started crying. I'm really good at crying. It's my superpower. And <laughs> just asked my mother. And, um, and so I said, well, hands down, it's that we have to leave our dog. And we love her very much. And she goes, well, out of curiosity, what type of dog do you have? I said, well we have a Labrador Retriever. She goes, that's amazing because my family, we've been praying for a two-year-old Labrador. How, how old is your dog? I said, she's two. And we just stared there, and then she starts crying. So that was the answer. But I was concerned because I thought, you know, missionaries shouldn't really have pets. It's, it's not a conducive lifestyle for having pets. And so I prayed about it, and I said, Lord, could you please encourage my children? They had to give away all their pets. And so we became the pet sitters for the missionaries on our team who did choose to have pets, who would leave for five, six months at a time. And so he provided this sweet cat that would lay over their homework. He provided a hamster to escape and crawl in my bed and my hair in the night. <laughs> that was great. Um, <laughs> Uh, and even a little dog for five months at a time. And that nonsense little dog, um, our kids adored that dog. But I mean, some of these things feel so trivial. We pray about the big things. We pray about diseases and things like that. But let me tell you, God listens to the trivial things. He does care about the details of your life. He listens. And so ask him that he is worthy of our trust. So, so we were 10 weeks into living in Spain, and 4th of July is a big deal to our family. My mom's birthday is on the 4th of July. My sister and I and, and all of our kids, we would make up these parade entries, and we would do all these special things. And so we had lived in Spain, and it was roasting hot. We were in a high-rise apartment with no air conditioning. I was mopping with ice water. 
we had moved from 3,400 square feet to 700 square feet. And I'm not going to tell you it was easy. It was rough. Um, but our kids did it with a grit. They did not complain. And I really appreciate that. I admire them for that. Um, but we were tired, and we were hot, and we were very, very homesick. And so I, pr I asked for prayer in my, our prayer update, and I just said, you know, you guys, I am really homesick, and I miss my family, and the 4th of July is coming, and I just feel like I'd do anything to see the American flag flying in the wind. And so our middle son's birthday was coming, and we said, what do you want to do for your birthday? He said, well, I want to go to Fuengirola. It's this village up over the mountain. He said, because I saw they have those paddleboard boats that have a slide. And you take them out into the sea, and there's a ladder, and you slide down into the Mediterranean. And he was turning 12, and that's what he really wanted to do. And so we're like, yeah, we'll do that. We get there, and it was so stinking packed. There were motorcycles everywhere. They were having a Harley rally, and they all had these big flags on the back of all these different European nations. And so we saw a place too late to park in, and my husband said, jump out, jump out. Go stand in that parking space to save it. And so I did, and I'm standing there right at the edge of the road, and I hear this rumble of a Harley, so many Harleys, and American rock and roll. And I thought, that's weird. I'm in Spain. And I turned around, and it was the one American. I know. I'll cry if I think about it too much. And it was the one it was the one American there, and the flag brushed my cheek. And it felt like a kiss from God. In that moment, I knew I was not alone, that he was with me in the big things, but in the little things, like missing my flag. He is so, so worthy. I'm going to stop crying. I promise I'm going to stop. He is so worthy of our trust. He cares about the little things. So I had all these concerns. You know, before we left, we homeschooled all our lives, and then we homeschooled there. It was the one thing that stayed the same. Now, homeschooling is not better. It just means it's, it was the right thing for me. I loved it. And so... Um, so we had so much fun. We did all these cool things, and we, my son would write these plays, and we would film them with my sister's kids. We would do all these fun plays, and I thought, we're not going to get to do things like that anymore. And again, we were in that hot apartment. The culture shock was really setting in. It was really feeling miserable. And um, yeah, it was just really feeling hard. That first year, everything's hard. Even the second year's hard. You just feel like a toddler who doesn't know anything. You don't know how to ask for things. You don't know the language. You don't know where to buy string or what it's called. And you don't know all these things. And it's tiring to feel like a preschooler for two or three years. And so it was getting old. Um, and I said, Lord, my children are really discouraged. Could you just please do something to encourage them? to lift their spirits. I said, I trust you with this. I know, I know you care about them. And so could you just please do that? And I don't know what I expected, but I did not expect what we got. And we were with the media center and these movie makers from Detroit were there. 
and they had time left over from the ministry work they were doing, and they went out to Pizza Hut with our oldest son, who had helped them on a project, and they wrote a script at Pizza Hut for a Star Wars play, and they came back and they made this ridiculous Star Wars movie with all these cool special effects, and it had like it has many thousands and thousands of hits on YouTube still, and it was so super fun. And our kids were over the moon. I thought, well, Lord, I didn't see that coming. Um, in fact, our son, he wrote a second one. They got to present it in Switzerland at this conference. It just became this huge thing that encouraged not just our kids, but all the missionary kids in Malaga. The second one, all the adults on our team, hey, hey, can you write me in a part? Hey, hey, can I be a part of that? And all the kids got to do it, so that was really cool. And it gave him a love for it, so our oldest son started doing ministry work on our team. Uh, they trained him to do all kinds of things in the video studio. We made a uh, gospel television program in Moroccan Arabic that was beamed into all of North Africa. And so here he is in this studio, and eventually he became the one who won the best television camera operator award at age 14 and um, he was a really a big part and he listened and listened and listened to Arabic and got used that later in the military they pulled him out to learn Arabic and um, and serve the military that way um, but it was so encouraging for them to be able to be a part of it another concern I had was that like in our house we didn't have nice stuff like others we didn't have nice big TVs we always had the old antiquated you know because we like to save our money for travel we loved travel and so we would take our kids places we would take them to Florida we would take them all over and that's how we used our extra income was taking them on trips and I thought you know missionaries don't have any money we're never gonna get to do anything fun again Lord could you just please encourage my kids You gotta laugh. You gotta just laugh. God is so funny. Travel in Europe, where we have lived for 17 years, we would get $20 round trip flights to places. $20. And to stay in a cottage bigger than our house in Spain was $25 a night with a kitchen. And we just bought groceries. We got to take our children to 14 countries. I know it. Homeschool extravaganza. <laughs> Woo! All those unit studies and all the language study and all the everything. We included it on their transcripts. And all three of them in university got cultural scholarships for their cultural experiences. And we factored it out. It made all the travel free. And so, and then some, because they learned so much and they love history. But I kept doubting God. I keep doubting Him. I still keep doubting Him. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. He's worthy of our trust. So that is Malaga. There's lovely parts of it, there's a lovely beach, there's a lovely park, there's tropical flowers. But the place that the real people live, not the cruise ship lands, looks like that. And so 
we, it was hard. We had left woods and a creek and a pond and all this great life catching frogs. And so we lived in a high-rise apartment. And then we lived in this townhouse. And we thought, hey, we're going to move there because it has a playground. And it has this abandoned warehouse district across the street. And they could play jump rope. They could ride bicycles. We thought they could ride a skateboard in there. This is going to be so great. And it was for a little bit, for about a month. And then the neighbor children poured gasoline on the playground and burned it down. It, it was a ghetto. I mean, I'll be honest. It was a ghetto. They were mostly ghettos. And, um, and then the warehouse district filled up, which is great for their economy. But they were manufacturing something that the chemicals were so outrageously strong that we had to keep our windows open. And when you live with no air conditioning, you got to keep your windows open. It was really bad. But we were getting migraines. So we went back for our first furlough. And this was really terrifying. We're, we're up in some church. And they asked for our prayer requests. My husband and I gave them. The lady handed the phone, to, handed the microphone to my 11-year-old daughter. And said, we want to hear what your kids have to say. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> what, will, what will they say? And what would, you, what would you like us to pray for for you? And my daughter, Dakota, goes, I would like a tree. And hands the thing back. And they're all like, What? And I said, let me explain. Okay, we live in, it's concrete jungle because only wealthy people can have grass or a yard because water is so expensive. So she is hoping that we will move to a townhouse with a tree that is big enough that she could climb up in it and pretend that she's in a yard. So hundreds and hundreds of people started praying for a tree. God is so faithful. I think he doesn't just do things for my kids. I think he does it for the people praying. 18 trees. So much grass that our whole team and their families, we hosted homeschool graduations. 75, 80 people could fit in that yard. Why could we have a yard? Because there was a well. The water was free. Some, this friend we had said, oh, I have these friends who came here for business and they rent this place. And, you know, it's about the same distance, but it's outside the city. It's the same time to work. And it has, it has all this grass in a big yard. I'm like, no, 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 no. I can't, we can't afford grass. She said, no, the water's free. It's the lowest water bill we ever had in our lives. <laughs> and um, 18 trees. And God used that over and over and over. We hosted the 4th of July parties. We began hosting. We started a, a teen retreat for all of Avant Ministries teenagers in Europe. Because we invited this one family we, that we knew through training. We said, hey, if you put your kids on the plane in Milan, Italy, we'll get them off the plane in, in Malaga, Spain. They could come stay with us for a week. Because they're having such fun together. And the oldest daughter the parents said yes, and they were all excited. The older daughter looks at me. He goes, she goes, could we invite everyone? I said, all of the Avant teens from all over Europe? Yes. She, and I thought about it for a minute. I said, you know what? I think we could. And we did. And our supporters paid for it. Probably some of you paid for it. They donated money for those kids to fly there and come in our backyard. And they had a wonderful, wonderful time. Where are we? Let's see. Okay. Too many. Okay. When we come back for furlough, you know, there's five of us, so we needed a place to stay. And 
this supporter's dad had recently been widowed and he was going to volunteer in Yellowstone for the summer. And so he said, you could stay in my house, it's really little. And we said, no, 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 we live in a really little apartment, we're fine. So he let us house sit there and it was such a blessing. Well, towards the end of our time, we realized that our middle son needed a surgery for his sunken chest because it would be affecting his breathing. Not dangerous, but he did need to have it while he was young. So we're sitting in the doctor's office. He says, yes. And he says, all right, I'm going to schedule you in. And he goes, you're going to need to add three months to your time here in the States for him to have the surgery and recover and do the follow-ups. And then he'll be ready to get on a plane. And we're thinking, wow, because, you know, Homer's coming home in three weeks and we just don't know what we're going to do. And, you know, panic, panic, doubt, doubt, doubt. There we were, flawed people. So we just started praying about it. Lord, I mean, you knew this. In eternity past, you knew about this. And we, we know you have an answer. And we know our son needs this. So we know you're going to provide. And we trust you. And we get home. And there's a blinky on the answering machine. And we play it. And it's Homer. Hey, I've decided to stay an additional month, three months. It probably doesn't matter to you guys. But I'm just letting you know. We just stood there and bawled. Our, we're just standing there. God is so, so trustworthy. It's outrageous how trustworthy he is. So uh, we traveled in Morocco often, usually my husband and my two sons and my daughter. And uh, men offered camels for our 10-year-old daughter a lot. So we learned they would stop us. And it was gross for her. That why, why, is, why is everybody offering cam camels to daddy? I said, because they want to marry you. She goes, that is gross. I am 10. She goes, get away from me, all of you. She's, she's a fiercey sometimes. And, um, and so my two sons would walk on either side of me because, you know, I'm a freak there. They would stop me all the time. Look at your blue eyes. Look at your blue eyes. Even if I wore a scarf on my head. And so uh, that was usually the case. Anyway, towards the end of my time in Spain, you know, we were more confident. And we had a girlfriend's trip into Morocco. And my goodness, it was fun. Without your husband along, you can really shop. <laughs> And things there are dirt cheap, you know, those those cashmere scarves that are like, I don't know, 20-something here, they were $2, and we were just having a great time. Anyway, it was the last day, and at breakfast, we were like, okay, let's split up. You, you, you girls need to do this, and you girls need to do that, and, and you girls need to go to the ATM machine, and I needed to go to the ATM machine to get some cash for the trip home. We drove there. And we took the ferry. And, and then at the last second, as, as I'm walking away with this other girl, she goes, oh, I forgot. I need to do such and such first. And she runs off with them. And I go, okay. And then I turn around. And I'm like, what was I thinking? And so I started praying. And I wrapped my hair all under. I had it all tucked under. And just my scarf. But you can't block your eyes. And, and the policy is that with the men there, as a group of women, you don't look them in the eye. You look just over their shoulder like this, and you just walk right past. You just keep your head up, and you just walk fast, and you just keep going, or you're going to be bothered. Let's go with bothered. And it was kind of alarming. I thought, what am I doing in a Moroccan market as a woman alone? What was I thinking? 
And so I got there, and I got back, and I got the thing, and I made it all the way back to the hotel room, and I thought, Phew, and it took like 45 minutes. We drove home. It's all good. The next day, I get home, and there's an email waiting for me from a supporter, this old guy, and he goes, um, at such and such a time, Nebraska time, God got me out of bed on my knees to pray for your safety for 45 minutes. And I'm just wondering, are you okay? What was going on? And I'm like, thank you, Lord. He is so good. And I apologized to the guy. I said, I made you lose sleep, and I won't do that again. But thank you for listening to God, the Holy Spirit telling you, get yourself down on your knees and pray. So not just for missionaries, but if you ever feel that for anybody, pray, pray, you matter. Another thing happened like that, there's a bridge on the way home from work in Spain because we lived in a bedroom community and my husband rode a motorcycle. This is a representative bridge. I, it's the same, but I couldn't find that bridge. Anyway, uh, it's a high bridge. And so um, my husband came home every day on his motorcycle because the traffic was terrible. You could sit forever. So it's legal in Spain to, to drive on the shoulder as a motorcycle. It clears up traffic. So it's, you drive to carefully, but it's legal because it frees up the road. And so um, it's getting time for my husband to come home from work. And I get this email. And it's my cousin. And she goes, is your husband okay? I just... God just really strongly told me to pray for him right now. I'm on my knees. Is he okay? And I heard the rumble of our gate opening and my husband rumbling in on his motorcycle. And he gets out and his face, he's all like, his face is just white. He goes, you know the bridge? And I said, yes. He goes, I was in the left lane passing people. He goes, this big truck moved over. He did not even see me. I'm honking. I'm trying to speed up, but there's no shoulder. He goes, I don't know how I'm alive right now. I don't even know what happened. But all of a sudden, I was in front of the truck. God is so faithful. What would have happened to him? That he, I mean, he obviously wants people to pray. So again, if you feel led to pray, please pray. God is so faithful. So we brought our oldest daughter back, she, our youngest child, our only daughter back um, from Spain for university. And we just didn't want to leave her. And we were really, we were on furlough and we were just begging God every day, individually in our prayer time, Lord, could we please be done? Could, we, could you please release us of our calling that we wouldn't have to be missionaries anymore? Could you please let us move back to the United States and be with our daughter? And the answer was no. And so we packed our suitcases and we moved back to Spain. We went back to Spain and we literally thought it was going to be the rest of our missionary career because he had said no, he took us back. And I didn't remember till later that our daughter was praying that God would keep us in Spain until she graduated because she was with her friends. And so, yet again, he's faithful. But I'd forgotten all about that. And so, I'm painting in my bedroom, in what was her bedroom, and I'm painting it to be my office. And I'm thinking that same old theme. I love my life. 
I love this little cottage of flowers. I love my team. I love my ministry. Thank you, Lord. I love my life. And he is suddenly is saying to me, not audibly, but he's saying to me, don't get too settled because I am moving you on. And as every time it's God saying something, see, I think my own ideas are so good. So I think, yes, yes, that's a great idea. Every time it's God telling me something, it's like, but, but, but. And I'm saying, but Lord, we love this ministry and we're needed at this ministry and it's important. And he's saying, daughter, trust me. And so I said, okay, I do. I do. I'm leaving it in your hands. I said, but my husband is the leader of our family. And I'm not going to talk to him about this. If you want us to move to a new ministry, then you show him. Because that's how it works. And so there was nothing for months and several, quite a few months. And then we were looking for something to do during the summer because in Malaga, Spain, it's at the very southern tip of Spain. It's, you take a ferry to Africa to go to Morocco. And it's roasting hot. It's like 114 degrees. There's no air conditioning. And the cameras break down. So we couldn't film as a team and do, do the work of video production. So most of our team goes on furlough during that time. And so we thought, well, we just got back. You know, we can't do that right now. So we were looking, and Avant used to have, emphasis on used to have, a camp that they used in France in conjunction with Crossworld Ministries, and all the Avant teens and Crossworld teens came to this camp and had a great time and an encouraging time, and we thought, hey, we're good at that. We could go help with that. Instead of wasting our time here, we could go serve, and it would be cooler, <laughs> to be honest. And... Um, so he's looking online, looking online and everything. Couldn't find it, couldn't find it. And I had emailed Avant, the, the coordinator for that. And it turns out she was working in the Amazon right then um, in Ecuador. And um, she didn't get back for a long time. And then she told me, they don't do that camp anymore. Okay. And I said, my husband, well, they don't do that camp anymore. And he goes, okay. But in the meantime, I found this camp and they really need help this summer. And my job in Spain was set design. I, was, I did the kids' ministries and the teen ministries, but I also did set design for filming our television program in studio, and I did the on-locations out of studio. I came up with the wardrobes and the props and all the stuff to make it look like a hospital, a cafe, a science lab, a schoolroom, whatever. And you can decorate for Jesus when you're... God has all kinds of missionary ways, I learned. And, um, and they needed a person to every night do plan and carry out the theme parties um, for their camp. And they needed somebody to teach art in the afternoons, which I also do watercolor and sketch. And, um, and they needed a guy to help get everything organized and get all the sports equipment ready and help with all the cleaning and things like that. So we contacted them. We said, hey, could you use us? And he said, yeah, but we have to talk first. I have to interview you. So. They, he interviewed us on Skype, and we got done, and I looked at my husband, and I said, huh. He goes, yeah, huh. He goes, you know, we've, we fit with our team. We're helpful to our team. He goes, we fit even better with this. And he goes, I didn't think that was possible. And we said, well, and he goes, now, Ellen, I have to tell you, every year I ask God, 
can we leave? Can we be done being missionaries? Do you want us to stay here? Or are you moving us on? And every year he says, stay where I have you and serve faithfully. And he goes, this year God is telling me that he's preparing to move us on. He goes, and then I found this camp. But we couldn't assume anything. We couldn't assume it was that. So we went and we served for the summer. And every day it was more and more and more obvious that it really was that camp. And they were, it turns out, in some pretty desperate need. Because one of the couples was retiring. And the other couple uh, was going back to the States. And it turns out they left for three years. Um, So it turns out that right after we moved there, it was one other new guy who was new to the mission field, one guy who'd been there, and us were handed the keys to this camp. And we were the stopgap. We were the stopgap in Malaga with all these jobs that they kept moving Rick to this one. Now we have an urgent need for this, you know, urgent need for IT guy. Then they got a real IT guy. So they said, okay, we're going to have him do that. Now we urgently need this. We were the stopgap. And then God moved us to France, and we've been the stopgap. So we moved to this lovely little town in the French Alps. You know the thing about lovely little towns in vacation areas? Airbnb. And it drives the rent up. And it's really, really hard to find any place to rent. Because, I mean, it's nice. And people come there to ski, and people come there to camp and hike, and it's a, it's a tourist village. In the non-tourist season, there's about 2,000 people During the tourist season, when the Tour de France comes through, there's about 15,000 people, and they park on everybody's lawns. But we couldn't find a place to rent. So we're really praying about it because there's pretty much nothing. And so we prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it. And then this place my husband had seen online before we moved there suddenly became available again. So we rushed into the realty office. And I mean, the walls of the bathroom were Pepto-Bismol pink. And they had had cats on leashes left there for days. And so it really smelled. But, you know, it was a place to live. And so we rushed into the tourist office. And she said, well, into the realty office. And she said, well, you can't see it yet. The people are still there. Okay, okay, okay. But can we put our dossier in? Because France is the land of paperwork and bureaucracy. And they know all about paperwork. And so we said, okay, is there paperwork we can start filling out to show the landlord that we're serious? So we started filling that out. And you turn in a document de habitation, and you prove that you have a place to live in the nation of France. And it was filled out by our camp director showing that we currently lived at camp, and it had the Condissime label. And so she, unbeknownst to us, she showed that to the owners. Well, the owners, the owner had met the director of our camp out mushroom hunting, which is a thing in the forests of France, um, and he had his phone number, and because he had gone, and anyway, uh, he calls him up. He goes, tell me about this couple, Rick and Alan Manuel. Tell me about them. Are they trustworthy? Will they respect my property? Are they going to take care of it? Are they going to damage it? Are they going to keep it clean? And our director vouched for us, yes, they will be very respectful. And he goes, okay, no matter who else asks for it, we will save it for them. And do you know what our rent is? In a town where you can charge $900 a week for Airbnb, $800 a month. 
No, it's little. It's one bedroom, one bath. But, I mean, come on. French Alps. $800 a month. That's a miracle. But every time these things happen, we go, why did we, get, why did we doubt this? He is so faithful. He provides all the time. Why do we doubt him? He is so faithful. So one of the things that happened was that my husband's back problem um, got really, really worse. Working in the dish pit there, the level of the sink. and Anyway, at one of the camps, he fell down on the floor and couldn't get up. And he couldn't walk for a lot of months, and it was really bad. And we needed to go back, come back to Omaha for careful surgery. Um, and it was 2020. And um, so we scheduled in advance, and we came, and we got into uh, the Nebraska Spine Center uh, for this surgery. And it was miraculous. They let me in. They let me stay in the room with my husband. The surgeon had been a missionary kid who grew up in South Africa, and his grandfather and father were missionary doctors, and he understood the race to get back before your visa expires. So he put, he bumped us to the front of the line and bumped other people back by a few weeks. And then he had the surgery and it was flawless and very effective. And the very next day, things happened in Nebraska that they canceled every surgery that if we hadn't had it, it would have been, we don't know how long. Because of the surgery, the doctor said, okay, while he recovers for three months, you have to live with no steps. You have to live where you cannot take any steps into where you're living. So people offered us wonderful places to stay, but many of them were in basements, and he could not go up and down a flight of stairs. And so we thought, what are we going to do? Here we were again. What are we going to do? We should have said, Lord, we trust you. You're trustworthy, and we know you're going to do it. Anymore, that's my phrase. I start every prayer with, Lord, we trust you. Because if I haven't learned it by now, what in the world? And so, bonk. Um, and so we prayed about it. So we knew a person who managed an apartment complex. The, the multimillionaire owner of said apartment complex, who had never met us, said, yes, they can live in a ground level apartment for free for months. And... I know, right? It's outrageous. And we were supposed he was supposed to walk every day. That's the only physical therapy for his for his healing is walk, 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 walk. But it was winter. And so it had all these lovely treadmills. He could walk every day. We lived on the ground floor. God's miraculous provision over and over and over and over. A wise minister once said, faith is a refusal to panic. Life is hard. You, you all have hard, hard things in your life. Every person I know has hard things in their life. No one has it as easy as you think it is when you look at them. And faith is a refusal to panic during the hard things. For the last 17 years, we have literally felt like we're dangling at the end of our rope. In situations where there's absolutely no way it's going to work out unless God does it. And would you believe? God does it. And so it's a good place to be. I want to encourage you in that. The, the book 
written by the leader of the Chinese underground church that made me realize I was being called to missions. He talked about, in America, there's not these miraculous things as often as there are in China because we have things like health insurance. We have all these ways that it can work out without God. But you, without him, without any of those things, we are dangling at the end of our rope. And that is where we see miracles. In big ways and small ways, all of you are dangling at the end of your ropes. And so when you are in those moments, just remember, remember that you can trust him. There have been really, really dark valleys, really hard things. Um, and I won't share them because they're too personal. And then you will really see my superpower of crying. Um, I would just cry the whole time. But the hard, hard things. And he is faithful in every single one of them. The work at our camp is very physical. Um, my husband's, for the last two years, has really not been well. His body is not holding up well to the intensely physical work at camp. And obviously, I'm back in the States without him because I had an injury and I had to come back and get medical care, and now I'm in physical therapy. And so it's very physical work. And Avant Ministries knows where we're at, and they've contacted us and said, we really need you to pray about we really think we should move you somewhere else, less physical. So here I am. I love my little French village. I love my little French house. And, I, and you know what? This time I'm just like, you know what, Lord? There's intense things going on in my life right now that I just kind of put it on the back burner. I go, you know what? You're going to do it, and it's going to be fine. So pray for that. They're looking for a place where we could come alongside other missionaries and encourage them and mentor them and help them, help them adapt to new cultures. That's one of the things God has called me to, is coming alongside those young families, helping them with their children to be encouraged. And God's in charge. He knows exactly what it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to be. Personally, I would love to not have to learn a new language at age 57. I don't know. If it's Portuguese, I think I could do it, because it's kind of a combination of Spanish and French. But... It doesn't matter. Even if it's a new language, God's going to give me the ability to butcher yet another language grammatically. <laughs> but it's okay. My neighbors are forgiving, and I can have hour-long conversations with him. I want to make sure to clarify. I have told you all these wonderful, miraculous, yes stories. I could do an equally long presentation on the no's. Sometimes the answer is no. I put this picture here because God is not a magic genie in a bottle to grant our wishes. It is about his will and his glory and his plan. Many times the answer is no. Somehow it is for my good, even if I don't know, till heaven. Somehow it is for our good, even if we don't know why, till heaven. But it is always for his glory. So we rejoice and we worship him in the no's as well. We are all there. There are a lot of no's. And I know you all know it in your own lives. I think about that when I hear this song on the radio. And it's talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And they're talking to the king. 
I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. It is well, it is well with my soul. That's what we're all called to. That's what we are all called to. My pastor reminded me last week, walking with God doesn't mean you don't have fear. It means you trust God in the middle of the fear. I have fear. You have fear. I know. We all have fear. Faith is trusting him in the middle of the fear. We're not spiritual superheroes. None of us are. We don't walk around having it all together all the time. We are trusting him in the middle of the fear. My husband and I, we do not know what the road ahead is any more than any of you do. None of us know. But we do know that he is going to be there with us every single second and that he is worthy of our trust. He is trustworthy. So as you trust God, I hope that you remember that, that he is worthy. In those moments you feel so scared and you feel like panicking, come back to the center of that truth that he is worthy of our trust. God bless you all. It's been good to see you. I know there's cookies.